All right, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to look at John 14. Um, I actually had the privilege of um, preaching from this text while we were in Spain um, over the last two weeks uh, almost, and uh, I'm not going to preach the same message. I'm actually going to use that message because it's funny. I started off the trip in Spain uh, on a Saturday we got there, really, and then uh, Sunday morning, the next morning, I'm preaching through a translator because I can't speak that good of Spanish, guys. And, uh, and so preach this message to about 15 or so people at the church in Logroño, Spain. And then it's just really interesting how God taught me so much over the course of that missions trip. Um, and I reflected back on John 14 or so many of the things that God taught me through John 14 um, kind of rang true throughout the trip. And so I thought it'd just be cool to share with you guys a little bit of my lessons from the mission field um, after being in Spain over the last two weeks. So I'll show you a couple pictures just so you kind of get a lay of the land so you know what's going on. Um, so first up, uh, this is actually in uh, the church plant in Madrid by the Hudaks. Now what's cool about this trip is that the Hudak family has been in Spain for almost 20 years. And so they have planted multiple churches. This church, the last one that they have planted there, they have been there for about seven to eight years. What's really neat about that is that you get to see what happens when somebody invests long-term in ministry there. They have over 70 people coming to their church. And I was able to encourage the missionaries there because I said, you know what, that's actually averaging over or hitting over the average American church. Right now, the average American church only has 60 people in it on a Sunday morning. Now, you guys are blown away because there are almost 60 of you in here sometimes. Um, so, so when we get our full group together, we're easily over 60. That's what most churches on a Sunday morning experience. And you guys may take for granted what you have here when you see this church gather on a Sunday. But don't, don't misunderstand that church attendance on the whole is relatively small. And, and so for the fact that in Spain that there are over 70 people at this church on a Sunday is really encouraging. Um, so you can see here, this is part of the camp. Um, there are students there. That's uh, one of the missionaries, Jody, and then Suzanne, one of our leaders who was there teaching the kids. Go ahead to the next picture. Um, this one was just fun because you get to see Colin and Enoch and Mary, um, all part of the skit, um, doing that for students or kids. And uh, we were pirates, and so there, there's that skit going on. Uh, you can go to the next one. This is the actual, okay, so now we have transitioned locations. Okay, so the first two pictures I showed you are in Madrid, and now you have been transported to Logroño. Now, Logroño is a smaller church because it is a church plant that is basically in its infancy. What I mean by that, it has only been around for a year or so, okay? Now, that room right there is no bigger than probably from the stage all the way to that wall, Okay. That's how big that room is. That's where they have about 15 people who gather every Sunday. They can't call it church yet because they have to get 20 people to officially be called members before the government recognizes them as a church. So they call it Bible study. Essentially do a church service, but they call it Bible study in that tiny room. And then because it's so small, they break out tables and have lunch together every Sunday afternoon. It's really sweet. It's really awesome. Um, in that church... It was really interesting to hear some of the stories um, from the missionaries as they talked about what it's like to do life in Spain. Spain is a country that is dominated by the Catholic Church. There are churches, literally, in every single town. No matter how big or small, every single town has a Catholic church dead center, prominently shown in the middle of the city. Now, I love doing mission trips, and I've done third world country mission trips. I've done first world country mission trips, just like this one, to Europe and other places. One of the reasons why I think first world country mission trips are really important is because it trains you to understand that missions is not an overseas thing. It's an everyday thing. 
Here's what I mean by that. The things that are happening in Spain and things that are happening in other European countries that I've visited are the same things that are happening here. Sometimes they're a little ahead of us on the curve, but most often than not, they're pretty similar. Think about it. If you drive from here to, I don't know, the beach, about a four or five hour drive, right? You will pass a church almost every single town you drive through, especially if you go the old way to the beach where it's not like interstate where you're just zooming 75 miles per hour until you hit ocean. If you go like back roads, you hit First Baptist Church of like Podunk Town, North Carolina. And then you hit, you know, the First Methodist Church of so-and-so Carolina. You're going to hit towns all along the way and every single town is going to have a church. Well, in the same way, Spain is very similar. Now, there's a problem because just because there's a church there doesn't mean that there is spiritual life. I'll show you the next picture. Some of these places are beautiful. This is downtown Madrid, right next to the palace. Okay, So this is like the national cathedral of Spain. One of the things, if you notice in that picture, this, this one might be hard to see, but on the ceiling, that is a painting that is just jaw-dropping. It's beautiful. If you can see down towards the middle, you can kind of make it out. There is a crucifix, an image of Jesus hung on the cross. If you go to the next picture, you'll see that a little closer. I've got a close-up image of what that looks like. They even have all the way down to the hole in his side where they jabbed the spear into the side of Christ when he was crucified. Now you could walk into this building and you could see the beauty and you could see the imagery of Jesus. And you could think, wow, they must have some idea of who God is. But the problem is, is that they don't. In fact, in the small church at Lagronia, there were some kids there. There were only about nine or so throughout the course of the week. At the end of the week, one of the missionaries was teaching a Bible lesson in Spanish, and he asked, what does it take for a person to go to heaven? The little girl, who's probably at the age of my twin, she's about 10, she raised her hand, and her English was pretty good, so she was always one of the most active speakers. And her response to the missionary was, you have to be forgiven of the first sin of Adam. Now, that so far is actually completely right. The Bible would back that up. The Apostle Paul would tell you that in the New Testament. That because one man sinned, all have fallen short. So, so she's right there. But then the next phrase out of her mouth shows how dark and lost these people are. She says, and to be forgiven of that, you have to take the first communion. Basically, what that means is the Catholic Church tradition that as a young person, when you become 12, 13, 14, if you get to that age of kind of moving from childhood into adulthood, you take your first communion. And they believe that when you take the bread and the wine and you eat it and drink of it, you are actually partaking of Jesus' actual body and his actual blood. That something miraculous happens in that moment, and you're actually taking upon flesh and blood. And when you do that, you are partaking of it, and you are absolved or you are forgiven of sin. So, think about that for a second. If everybody in Spanish culture is taught that around 13, 14, 15, around your age, go take your first communion and you're forgiven of the first sin of Adam. And then somebody comes up to you and says, hey, have you heard about what Jesus has done for you? And your need for a savior and to be forgiven of sin. As a Spanish person who has grown up in that culture, you're thinking to yourself, what do I need Jesus for? I was already forgiven. I, I was taken care of. I got that checked off. If you are picking up what I'm kind of getting at, 
that's no different than so many of the conversations you can have or I've even had with people here where we live, right? Churches on every corner, sometimes immaculate inside, maybe not as pretty as that because we use like warehouses and old, you know, things that don't look as nice as this, but you know what I mean? Really nice on the inside. And then you come talk to somebody and they say, yeah, yeah, I did that once. I prayed a prayer at like some random event and took care of that. I got that. Sin, check, done, covered by the blood of Jesus. Well, is it? Because in a lot of ways, sometimes we can fall into the same traditional mindset that the Spanish people do in the Catholic Church. So one of the lessons that I really gleaned from the mission field is that it is no different than what we are experiencing here. And if we're not careful, then we fall into the same traditional mindset where our religion is just part of our culture and it really makes no impact on who we are. I told you we, we studied John 14 over there. I want to take you there really quickly. We have it on the screen. But in John 14, I'm going to start in verses 16 and 17. Jesus is basically saying goodbye to his friends. Okay, This is the farewell discourse at this part of John's gospel. It is a portion of the gospel where Jesus is basically saying goodbye, telling the disciples, I'm leaving you. And really is not hiding the fact that he's going to be crucified and die. And that even though he is going to rise again, and he kind of tells them that in a lot of different ways, once he rises again, he's going to return to the Father and leave them until a longer time that they will not see him again. So, so this is all the goodbye speech. And so there's a lot of emotions, as you can imagine, for the people who have been with Jesus for so long, hearing, wow, you're leaving us. Where are you going? We want to go too, as some of them have said. And Jesus tries to encourage them in so many different ways. And one of the ways he does that is here in John 14. Listen to what he says in verses 16 and 17 first. He says, after he says, I will go, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is the person that Jesus is talking about. He is the helper, the one that is sent to you when you receive Christ as Savior that comes into your life and lives in you and and dwells in you. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap. He's kind of mystical. He's kind of weird. People get freaked out when we talk about the Holy Spirit because then you think that I'm going to start doing like cartwheels down the aisles and I'm going to start like trying to heal people and I'm going to start speaking in some like weird random tongue that you and I don't understand and then that's the Holy Spirit and it's crazy, right? And so we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit. But man, he's important. According to what Jesus has said, Jesus says he's going to be with us forever. He is the spirit of truth, and he is something that the world around us does not have. But you as a believer, if you are in Christ, you have him within you. So that's really important. He has a vital role to play in your life. And and we'll get to some of those things in a second. But the first lesson that I learned from the mission field, and when you're on a mission trip, you're exhausted, all right? Jet lag is a real thing, especially when you go that way on the world. For you guys, it would be that way. But for me, it's that way. When you go east, like jumping ahead time zones, it's rough, okay? It's still rough going back because I'm experiencing that tonight. But it's really hard when you go forward. So it's exhausting. And so you need to lean into something that is stronger than you. And so the first lesson I get from this text is lean into the Holy Spirit. Don't avoid the Holy Spirit. Don't don't try to say like, oh, that's a weird topic that we don't want to jump into or I don't want to understand I don't don't really understand that no lean into the Holy Spirit he's a helper who is with you forever 
He teaches you all things, and he reminds us what Jesus has told us. That You get the, all those things from later on in chapter 14. I'll just read these to you. But in verse 25, it says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, that, that means not just commands that Jesus gives to you, but also that's like the promises that Jesus gives to you. Like the good stuff of Scripture that you need to feed your soul the Holy Spirit, when you read those things in Scripture, has the ability to bring them back to your mind. I've said that before. We're forgetful. We forget things. I forget stuff all the time. I've forgotten more than I probably know at this moment in my life. So it's vitally important that the Holy Spirit reminds us what Jesus has told us. Because if he doesn't remind us, we'll forget. We'll lose sight. We'll get distracted. But he'll teach us all those things. And he doesn't leave us. He is a helper with us forever. I really learned this um, in one conversation we had with the missionaries in Lagronio. I was, I was talking a lot about, okay, so what do you guys feel like you should do when you are trying to reach people in such a difficult place? And the first night that we were there, I'll try to describe this for you because it's not, nothing like we have this in the United States. We don't have anything like this in the United States. Let's pray that passes. Um, there was an apartment complex that we stayed in. And, and to get into the apartment complex, it was a door that was, basically you could not get in unless the security lets you in. Once you were let in, it was an open courtyard and there were buildings that were about four to six stories high. And in the middle of all the buildings was just concrete for a basketball court, uh, soccer nets on the concrete because, you know, soccer's king over there, rightfully so. And then there was a playground for kids, there was a tennis court, there was a swimming pool, all the things were there. And so when we first got there, it was during siesta time, so everybody was kind of taking a nap in their houses. But by about 7 or 8 o'clock, everybody comes outside in the whole courtyard. It's just like alive with the community of only the people who live in this apartment complex that probably has about 500 units in it. So it's, it's pretty big. And so there's kids everywhere. And so Enoch, Colin, and I were on the same team. And dude, I, I, guys, I was just so tired. And, and so Enoch and Colin find a soccer ball and a basketball, and so they're like, let's go down there and let's play. And so first day we're there, we go out there, and we start kicking around, and then these two other um, Spanish kids come up, and they're probably like 10, 11 years old. And I try to speak some Spanish to them, but my Spanish is really limited. So I get out about as much as I know, and I ascertain, I figure out that their names are Mario and David. And so I know Mario and David. I can do that. Now, soccer is a universal language. Because after that, I can start pointing and tell them like, where to go. And I can say like ball or I can say goal. And goal is kind of universal. So we can get around. And so the, two of, the three of us, me and the two Spanish kids, played against Mary, Enoch, and Colin. Okay? And so we had like a three-on-three -three soccer game. And as we're doing that, the missionary who lives in the town, he walks through our game. Um, I, I noticed that because I was like, dude, you didn't walk around. Like, that's just like common courtesy. But anyway, he walks right through and he makes a beeline for the playground where there's an adult um, hanging out with his kids. And he starts striking up a conversation with him. So later on, I asked him, I said, hey, so what were you talking to him about? And he said, you know, it's really interesting. I know this guy. I've seen him around town. We've been in English group together. And I talked to him a little bit about just say, okay, what have you been doing and stuff. And so he noticed you guys and said, what are they doing over there? Because obviously, when you take Enoch to Spain, everybody knows he's not Spanish. Because he's huge. 
All right? Like, you can't miss them. And Colin's not that short either. And so you have them, and then you have me, who I think they probably thought I was one of them, although I tried to let my beard grow out to, like, kind of look older. I don't think it worked. So anyway, so I think he thought I was one of them, which is not anything out of the usual. Anyway, back to the story. The man says to the missionary Caleb, he says, what are they doing here? And he explains, hey, they're missionaries from America. Um, they're part of a church. They're partnering with our church. They're here for the week. And he says, that's really interesting. You know why that was interesting to him? Because he just said, I thought it was strange to see young people treating those young kids so nicely. And I knew they weren't from Spain, and I knew they couldn't speak English, but I just thought it was interesting that they were treating them so differently. And so when we got back to the house that night, we kind of every night talked as a group, our team, we just kind of talked about the day, and you know, the missionary just shared something that really hit me. He said, you never know what God's going to do with those interactions. You don't know how the Holy Spirit's going to work in that. And you really don't know how much of a visual you can be to other people by just being like Christ. And, and, and for you guys, I don't know what that picture is. Like when, you, when I say like be like Jesus, I don't know if you have like this image of, of like you have to be this perfect person all the time. But, but Jesus primarily was full of grace, truth, and love. And if you're going to be surrounded by those things and that's going to be like the markers of your life... You're just going to be an image of Jesus to people around you. Colin, Enoch, and I, and Mary, we didn't do anything special, okay? Like, I, I, like literally, that's what I do. I play soccer all the time, and, and I do it a lot of times with younger people, and so it's easy for me to be like, hey, what's up? You want to play? And then we just, we do it, and we smile, we laugh, we high-five, we pound it, you know, I don't scream and yell at them, and we have a good time. But just doing that showed something to that man where he thought, wow, those people are different. And he knew that we were different before he knew we were believers. That left a seed that prayerfully the missionary will reap one day. I say all that because there are some times where we get so caught up in, oh, I gotta, I gotta take this opportunity to, to share the gospel with somebody. It's a Holy Spirit thing that really you have to be leaning into the Holy Spirit to know when am I gonna speak about Jesus to this person. And, and I've been around long enough and I've been on enough mission trips where um, you, you come face to face with somebody and you have a conversation and the whole time you're kind of in that mode. Sometimes you guys are in that mode all the time. Sometimes it's just when you're in a spiritual high and you're thinking about Jesus a lot and you're thinking, man, I got to share the gospel with them. And then you've been there before where you part your separate ways and you just didn't do it. And you all know the feeling if you've been in that situation that follows. Shortly thereafter, you go, man, I blew it. I messed up. I missed an opportunity. What if I never get a chance to talk to that person again? I can't believe it. God, I just denied you in front of another person. And, and you just say that those who deny me to other people, I'll deny to the Father. And so now you're going through this tailspin of emotions. Like, man, am I even a believer? Like, that sounds extreme, but I, I've gone through all those things. So the, that whole like, commentary you just had, I play out in my mind before. And, and it's come to show me that the Holy Spirit has taught me so many times is that not every single moment that you speak with somebody is the exact moment that they're going to receive the gospel. So you have to be dialed into the Holy Spirit to know when is that right moment for that person. You have to be attentive to the Spirit pushing you and leading you. And that requires you being in God's Word. Because this is the Word that the Holy Spirit's going to use to bring you to remembrance and to teach you all these things. This is what God's going to use to direct you and help you. Now, one of the key things as we had this discussion with the missionary, he, he said it, and I'm a huge believer in this. You cannot just think that, oh, I'm just going to show Jesus to everybody and never use my words. 
there are too many missionaries, he told me, there are too many missionaries who go to the field and they're saying, oh, we're just trying to build relationships with people. We're just trying to make friendships with them and build that bridge for the opportunity to one, share the go- one day share the gospel with them. But the problem is, is they actually don't share the gospel. And so they're spending years upon years gathering funds from people, thinking that they're doing some type of ministry. And what they're doing is just building friendships with people, but they're never having the spiritual conversation to say, do you know Christ? Have you made him the savior of your life to forgive you of your sin? So there's a balance. Not every single moment that you meet somebody do you have to spew out the gospel. But that also means that that doesn't mean you build all these relationships with people and you never share the gospel. Knowing when to do that requires the Holy Spirit's wisdom, timing, and help. And courage. Because I know it's hard. But that's what the Holy Spirit has been sent to do. He is a helper. He helps you know when to do these things. He teaches you these things. And he reminds you of what Jesus has told you and taught you. I'm going to go on. Second lesson, John 14, 22 to 24. I'm going to just read this one real quick. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Lesson number two, it's a holy mission that you're sent on. And, and so in order to fulfill this mission, it's a holy mission. You have to keep his word. Jesus says it there. If you love me, you'll keep my word. The love of the Father, the love you have for Jesus, manifests something in you. It brings about something in you. It causes an action. Your love for him should cause holiness in your life. Your love for your Savior should cause you to want to follow his commands. I use this example at the church in Legronio. Um, Morgan and I have been married for 11 years. I do the dishes, and I take out the trash. That's something that we kind of have agreed upon, the different uh, the chores in our home that we are to do. She does some different chores, and I do some other ones. And so when we were first started dating, and when we first got married, I didn't go, you know what, I'm going to take out the trash today, and I'm going to scrub dirty dishes and get all the egg grime off of the pan that's been left there since breakfast this morning. I'm going to get that off of that pan, and when I do, I will turn off the faucet, and the water will stop, and my love for Morgan will be so much bigger. doesn't work like that, okay? My love for Morgan is big, so therefore I do the dishes, and I take out the trash, not the other way around. And it's the same way with the Lord. Like you cannot just say, I'm going to work so hard to keep his word and that will make me love Jesus. No, 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 like you have to love him in order to keep his word. Because without that love, you have no fuel to do it. Otherwise, probably your fuel to obey him is probably fear that he's going to punish you. And if I've learned anything in life, it's that fear is a really terrible fuel. It burns quickly and is gone. It's not sustaining. Love is. Love is a fuel that is sustaining and will help you obey him. Lesson number three, John 14, 30 through 31. I will no longer talk that much with you, Jesus says, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. I think it's interesting Jesus says to them, I'm not going to talk that much more with you. Something's about to happen, okay, and I'm going to be gone. And so we're not going to have these face-to-face conversations where I can just openly tell you what's happening. 
The ruler of this world is coming. What he is talking about is the moment that Satan is going to strike what Satan thinks is the death blow to Jesus, right? On the cross. But Jesus reminds them, he has no claim on me. The world may look like it's winning, but ultimately it fails. The Father has commanded me, I'm going to do this, and it's going to look like I lost, but ultimately I am going to win. I will reign supreme over death and sin and darkness. And the world will know that I love the Father. Let's go from this place. The lesson that I I learned from the mission field, and I learned from this text as well, is that no matter how hard a heart is, it can be broken. Hard hearts can be broken. When I was talking to Keith Hudak, the missionary in Madrid, in the first church I showed you, and the one that's been there for, you know, they've been there for 19 years. Um, He he was talking about a, a man in his church that he has been inviting for years and never showed any interest. I mean, he, he, they would be friendly, but he would just never, he would never admit to trying to come to his church. Now, Keith and Jody are actually moving back to North Carolina. They're going to end their time on the mission field, and they're going to take a job as a missions pastor in another church, actually not too far from here in Winston. But wouldn't you know it that about two months ago, that same guy that Keith had been talking to over and over and over and constantly inviting him to their church, finally came up to him and said, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to show up this Sunday. And he did. And he's been faithfully coming since. Now, from a human perspective, you could get a little, you could get really excited, but you can also get a little frustrated, right? You, you know, like you've invested all that time. You've asked and been denied and been kind of shunned in a way multiple, multiple times. And then the Lord calls you to go somewhere else. And then suddenly, right before you leave, this guy comes to your church. The guy that you've been inviting forever. You could imagine that's frustrating on some level, but, but Keith had such a joy about it. He's like, I just cannot wait to hear that I'm, and he continues to pray for him, I just know that I will come back and visit in a year's time after I've been long gone for a year, and I know that God's going to do something with him. He's going to take hold of his heart. He's going to use that, and he's going to make that guy into a follower of Christ. He just knows it. He just believes it, and he's praying for him. Jesus reminds his, his followers, his believers, his disciples, he reminds them, I am alive, and I will still be alive, even after the death blow is hit against me on the cross, evil will not win, and it cannot win. I will reign over it forever. The ruler of this world is coming, but he hasn't a claim on me. Evil's not going to win. You know, we can get so stirred up by evil things in our world. And by golly, there's a lot. There's so much stuff that's going on right now that is just wicked and evil and disgusting. And it's easy to get depressed about it. But at the end of the day, as a believer in Christ, you don't need to hang your head low and go, wow, low is us. The world is going to burn. Because ultimately you know that the world is not going to win. That evil is not going to win. That eventually darkness will be squashed. It will be crushed under the foot of Jesus, because he is alive. Now, if he hadn't risen from the dead, then, man, then, yeah, you got to have to somewhat question if evil can really be defeated. But because he rose from the dead, evil will be defeated. And then Jesus says this. He says, I love the Father. I want the world to know that I love the Father. That is the message that he wants them to know. And I think that's the same message that we need to get. The same message that we need to get for ourselves and for others. Jesus loved the Father. And so he obeyed him to the point of death on a cross. Because of Jesus' love for the Father, 
Jesus loves you. And his love for you pushed him to die for you. But it's only because he first loved the Father. And he was obedient to the point of death. No matter how hard a heart is, even in this room, Jesus' love can penetrate it, can smash it, can pierce it. And I know that because this is really important, that he says in verse 18, I'm just going to back up for you a second, the same Holy Spirit that he promises is the reason why Jesus can say, as a promise to his believers, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so often we feel like, man, we're, we're out here alone, but, but God has promised, I will not leave you as an orphan. His love compels him to stay close to you because he's adopted you as his child. His love is the reason why he does that. Now there's a book I've been, I was reading while we were over there, and I, I came across this quote. I'm going to end with this. Um, it's a quote from an old Puritan named John Bunyan. Um, and John Bunyan was looking at a verse in John, um, back, a couple of chapters back. I'm going to read it for you. It's John 6, 37, one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, to him, it says this. He says, all that the Father gives to me, I will never, well, sorry, all the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, I, this is such a beautiful verse because his love for you means he'll never cast you away. You will come to him if God's called you to do so and he will not call you, he will not cast you out. John Bunyan, the Puritan, says, we ponder a lot of things when we hear that verse. We think about a lot. When we hear Jesus say, I will not cast you out. If you come to me, I will never cast you out. We, we think about a lot of things, and these are some of the things that we think about. We say, but I'm an old sinner. I've been sinning for years. I've been doing this for a long time. We say that. Jesus says, I will in no way cast you out. We come up with another reason. We say, but I am a hard-hearted sinner. Like, like I, I know that this is wrong, and yet I still choose to do it over and over and over. My heart is so thick and hard right now. I know the right thing to do, and I choose willfully not to do it over and over. That's what I do. Jesus says, I will in no way cast you out. But I'm a backsliding sinner, you say. I, I, I've fallen away from this. I, like, I used to follow, but I just have gotten caught up in something, and I'm sliding away from Jesus ever so slightly, and I continue to fall down and further and further away. Then there's no way you're going to cast me out, right? I will in no way cast you out. But I've served Satan all my days. I have literally given myself over to dark things. So wicked that you don't even want to think about that, man. Like, that, that's how bad it is, Jesus. I have served Satan with my days. You may say that, but Jesus will say, I will never cast you out. I've sinned against the light. Like, I know that there are darkness things and, and light things. And I've even mocked people who have been walking in the light. I've done those things. Jesus says, I will never cast you out. I've sinned against mercy. You'll say that. Jesus will say, I will in no way cast you out. Maybe the last one. You'll say this. I have no good thing to bring with me. I've got nothing to bring up to you. Nothing to bring before you. Jesus will say, I will not cast you out. That, that's true love that only... Christ can offer to somebody. 
And that same type of love that is so patient, that is so overwhelming, that is so unconditional, is the only love that will break a hard heart. It's really interesting. When I was talking to the Hudaks, the ones who have been there for almost 20 years, they told me one of the most impactful things I heard on this whole trip. They said, first thing that our missionary coach, when we landed in Spain, told us to do, he said, when we check in with you two years from now, we're going to do a two-year checkup. Here's the goal. You ready? Here's the goal. That you're still there. So two years into this, the goal for success in that guy's mind, their coach, was that they would not have left the country. Because Spain is considered a graveyard for missionaries. People don't last there. And I just think it's hard. It's hard work. But hard hearts can be broken in Spain. The, the things that they've been taught in the Catholic Church can be broken by the love of Christ. The hard hearts that exist in this room or in your family or in our church or in our community can be broken by the love of Christ. Because he has said, those who I have called to come to me, I will never cast out. No matter what excuse or thought you have, he'll never cast you out. Man, that, that's the, the kind of love that Jesus offers. That's the same love that he loved the Father with, that he shares with you. That's the good message that we get to enjoy. That's the message of the gospel. That he loved you to the point of death. Death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, there's so much that you continue to do in our lives. Lord, may we lean into the Holy Spirit. May we see the things that you are trying to show us and teach us. May you open our eyes and our ears to your truth. God, it requires us to be holy and it requires us to follow you and to keep your word. And we got to be people of your word in order to keep your word. We cannot just talk about it. Or have an idea about it. We need to actually know it and do it. So God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would push us along, would give us the strength. We wouldn't fight against him, but we would lean into him. Father, finally, I just pray for anybody in here who has a hardened heart. If they have been so caught up in sin, or the enemy has had his grip on them, or maybe they've backslidden away from you, God, I pray that you would remind them of your goodness. Remind them of your love for them shown on the cross where Jesus died, where he paid for all of their sin, where all of it was taken care of and there is nothing more that they can bring to offer to you as a sacrifice. The sacrifice was made. Love came down and love was killed and love was shown. And the fact that you rose from the dead proves us that love in the end is alive. That is who you are. You're a God of love, justice, mercy, and grace. You want us to know you, and God, I pray that if there are hard hearts in here, that you would be breaking them down even now through the power of your spirit. Draw them closer to you. Show them the forgiveness and grace that they long for is only found in you. God, we thank you for all these things, and we pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.